It is an incredible privilege to be a parent. And it is just a beautiful thing to be a parent. But all of us know that it is an incredible responsibility. Providing the spiritual guidance for our family is certainly one of the most essential duties, just as essential, maybe more, than making sure they eat good and making sure they have a good education. There are so many forces in this world today that are actively fighting against our marriages. I mean, it never stops against our families, against the morals of our family. And that's why it is so important not to leave parenting to some humanistic theory, but to hear from God. And I am thankful that we have the best parenting manual that there is. And uh, these socialists may have some ideas, I don't know. These psychologists perhaps get it right on a few occasions, but God always gets it right. And God's book, the Bible, is not just a book of morals. It is a book of great practical principles, not some dusty manuscript that, you know, they got from some cave somewhere. No, I'm telling you, folks, it is alive. It is burning with fire. It is such a beautiful thing to have the Word of God. And not only does it give us principles, but it gives us wonderful examples. And that's really what we began last Sunday uh, as we uh, started this on Father's Day early on, uh, or maybe uh, uh, really about halfway through my study, I realized there's no way that this passage, we could do it justice by just to do it in one Sunday. And so we're stretching Father's Day into two Sundays. But actually, this is not a message just for fathers. This is for mothers. And it's not just for fathers and mothers, it's for grandparents, it's for children. And the truth of the matter is, no matter who you are, whether you're married or unmarried, a child or older, I'm glad that God's Word has something for me on every page. And I can read the genealogies and get something, and we can have a message about parenting, even if you're not a parent. And so uh, I just know you're going to get a blessing out of this. Let's all bow our heads for a word of prayer as we come to the Word of God. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I bless you and praise you, Lord. I'm looking forward to what you're going to do with our, us today. I thank you for this good group here. and Lord, uh, I'm just uh, with the crowd like it is, Lord. I just know you're going to fill up this new building, and we're excited about that opportunity. And Lord, we uh, ask for your blessings. We ask for uh, just your spiritual power today. I pray that God, you'll just meet with us and teach us. I pray that each person, Lord, even if it doesn't seem applicable, Lord, that they will just get, they will go home with something and they'll say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul describes uh, himself in other chapters prior to this as well, he describes himself with many metaphors as a pastor. He said a pastor is really a servant. Well, that's why they call him a minister, because he ministers to people. Uh, certainly their spiritual needs, often in other areas uh, as well. Uh, he is called a slave. Apostle Paul said, I'm a slave, meaning uh, there's a huge burden of care a huge burden of care when you deal with uh, uh, children. Some mothers say, I feel like a slave. Amen. Well, we are. We're a, there's a huge burden, really, that is uh, thrust upon us uh, when we're parents and when we're married. 
The Apostle Paul said, he is a steward, meaning uh, I have been uh, given this information. It's very important that I uh, am faithful with it. And if we have been given some money to hold, or if we've been giving some, uh, a little piece of paper to get somewhere, uh, it's important for us to be a good courier and get it to the place we're supposed to be. The Apostle Paul also said that he was a farmer. One person plants, one person waters, others reap. And so he said, I'm out there just trying to make a difference, growing a crop for the Lord. I'll tell you one thing, the crop needs to grow as never before in this world, and that's why we're here as God's people. The Apostle Paul also said, I'm a wise master builder. Now, some folks build, and they really don't take uh, thought and care when they first start out. And at the end, it shows up. But he said, I'm a wise master builder. And, you know, we have to be wise when we do the Lord's work. And Jesus said, disciples, I want you to go out there and I want you to have a heart like a dove, just harmless, uh, pure. But he said, I want you to be as wise as a serpent. I want you to be like snakes when you're reaching people for Jesus. Be sneaky and uh, slither in the grass a little bit, you know, and you just don't just race right up. You got you to gotta be smart. And Paul said, I want to be a wise master builder for the Lord. Of all the things that he said that might uh, really uh, stick with us here today, he said, and there's one thing that I can tell you as an apostle, as a pastor that I am to you, that nobody else really is, and that is I'm a parent. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. In fact, uh, let's uh, read that together if you would, please, out loud. Ready, begin. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now he said, uh, there's lots of good teachers, and I'm not going to deny that there's some wonderful teaching and information being imparted. But he said, my relationship to you is different than just a teacher. And that's where people make a big mistake a lot with only being online, and as much as we are so grateful for our online presence, the fact is... Uh, Everybody needs a local assembly. Someone said, well, man, I, 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 it's just, just as good on TV as it is uh, in person. Really? Well, that's a strange thought. Uh, that'd be like a man saying, you know, kissing my wife is just as good, you know, on TV, you know, 100 miles away than in person. How many men would agree with that? I, that's not me, man. I'll tell you one thing. I want in-person kissing. Amen. None of this uh, cyber stuff. That's my favorite indoor sport. And uh, so I want to make sure I get all of that. The same thing is true when it comes to the things of God, folks. We need to be together. God said it is not good that man be alone. And so Paul said there is a special, wonderful thing that happens when we are together. And teaching's good and information's good. But when there's a special connection when we are fathers and mothers and children. And so we found out, Paul said there are, in the course of how he said he related to them, I think we can draw some great uh, concepts about parenting. First of all, he loved them. He loved them passionately. Number one, we saw last week, uh, he said, you are my beloved. Now, that, <laughs> even Paul saying that to, uh, strikes me funny because, I mean, folks, those Corinthian people, were, they were some nutty people. And, uh, and most of us are nuts. I, don't, <laughs> I just got to admit that. I, I know that. 
so Paul said, but I love them. <laughs> as crazy as they are, I love you folks. And uh, that's what we need to have is a deep, deep love. And Jesus said it this way. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life. And when we can lay down our life, we can lay aside our goals for a bigger, bigger cause for our family. We love them. Number two, uh, we patiently, patiently admonish. He said, I warn you, I love you, and I love you just the way you are, but I love you too much to let you stay that way, and I want you to be different. And uh, he said, I'd love to be your friend. I'd love to be close to you. I'd love to be your buddy, buddy. But if I have to sacrifice that buddy-buddy relationship so that I can stay your parent, I will. And as a parent, we need to be careful to warn people. And we talked about the importance of bringing conversations back to Scripture. In fact, the idea of having the Ten Commandments is a powerful, powerful tool to give weight to our words and to tell them a warning. And then number three, he initiated pointedly. He noticed, he said, he gave them a point in time. He begot them in the gospel. That is, he gave them a spiritual standard. He gave them a, a bias. Uh, you know, when you have a ladder, uh, you lean it against the wall. You give it a, a certain bias because they have found that you can't climb up a ladder straight like that. It has to have a, but if it's too far, it's not good. There's a certain bias you give it in order to make it work correctly. The same thing is true with a life. We give them a bias, a certain direction. And he said, I, I begot you through the gospel. I didn't say whatever you want to do. No, he said, I gave them Jesus, <laughs> Jesus in the morning. I gave him Jesus at lunch and I gave him Jesus before they went to bed. And so he said, I begot you. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not a perfect person, but one thing you know is I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about the Lord. I'm all about my Bible. And so that's what we said. All right. Now that leads us to today. Let's uh, find the final three points. Number four, he exemplifies predictably. Verse 16, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Be a follower of me. Now, perhaps the most important thing about our lives is that we are a good example. Absolutely nothing works without this. Look at that little phrase there. He said, be a follower. The Greek word there is the word mimic or imitator. Back, way back in the day, we used to have these little things they called mimeograph machines. They were, some of you have never heard of those things, but they're these little machines. You'd put this little piece of paper on, you'd turn it like that, and out would come these papers, and everybody, you had to have mimeograph, and, uh, because the word means a duplicate. The apostle Paul said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to print out copies of me. I want you to be a copy of me. Now, he wasn't uh, asking for cookie-cutter Christians, you know, I want you to look like me, act like me. Uh, my son-in-law, Seth, my good boy, young man, and he, uh, he shaved his head. He said, he sent me a text with a picture. He said, look, Dad, just like you. <laughs> and uh, now, Apostle Paul wasn't looking, wanting everybody to look like him, talk like him. He was talking about his values. He said, that's what I want you to uh, imitate is to uh, imitate my values. Because many of the people were having a hard time 
coming up with a plan for living. Many of the uh, Corinthian Christians were new babies, and so they were looking for some direction. Others were just plain immature. And so what was happening was one baby was imitating another baby. One person was imitating another child, and they weren't growing. Paul said, look, walk like me. I'm an adult. Talk like me. Act like me. That's what I want you to do. Have you ever had maybe uh, or seen uh, your little three or four or five-year-old child, and uh, they would hang around a baby? Pretty soon, they start talking like a baby. They start acting like a baby. And you say, well, stop that. Because when you're always around a baby, the little ones start acting like that. Paul said, you folks are, this is crazy. You're all upset with each other. You're so uh, shallow and you're, you're just imitating babies. He said, you need to imitate me. I'm your visual. I'm your living, breathing uh, video here. Back in the day, uh, you know, I'd work on my car. Uh, when you have an air-cooled Volkswagen, you, that's one of your hobbies. <laughs> You're always working on that thing. And, and back in the day, I did that. And, but back, I would there, I'd get that thing, and uh, something would be wrong with it. Oh, my goodness, what's wrong with it now? And, uh, a lot of times, I just like to try to figure it out myself. So I'd get a book. I had several books. And those books were dirty because I would work on it and then get dirty. But reading, oh my goodness, this, that's so hard. Boy, when they came up with pictures in those books, man, that's just amazing. You could see it. Oh, glory to God. When the YouTube came out, and you could go to YouTube, and they said, this is how you change a spark plug. On the, oh my goodness. I mean, wow, that just was so much different. The Apostle Paul said, you've heard it. You've, uh, you've read it, you've imagined it, now watch me. I am your YouTube example. I want you, I'm an influencer for you. I want you to follow me. Parents can't say, that's your Bible, that's your church, that's your things to do. For me, just uh, do as I say, don't do as I do. There is no credibility in that kind of a lifestyle. The most, uh, the hardest and the most challenging part to be a good Christian is in the home. Now I commend all of you. You look so good here this morning. You look so beautiful and so handsome. I've walked by several of you. You smell nice. And uh, now I know that's exactly the way you look every day, right? All day long, you look so good. I mean, you smell so nice. <laughs> every once in a while, you know, we, uh, we catch up with people during the week, and they look a little frumpy. And, uh, you know, corduroy pants and corduroy shirt and corduroy hat and uh, one more quarter, and they become a whole Roy. And uh, there they are, and their hair's like that, and I, that's a good one for you. I got Roy Platts on that one this morning, but um, there they are. You know, they got that COVID hair, you know, <laughs> and some people, they complain about their COVID hair. That doesn't go very far in our house. And I said, well, at least you have hair. Thank the Lord you have hair. And uh, my wife was, had her big old curlers last night, and I said, Hi, honey. You look nice. And uh, she looked at me and kind of with that look like, you know, don't you start now. And, uh, but uh, she looks so beautiful. And, you know, now you look good. But, folks, the fact is, in the home, 
We're how we really are, aren't we? We don't always look so good in the house. Now, it's easy to serve God in church, but when you're at the home, that's where we really are. That's why the Apostle Paul said for a pastor, for him to qualify to be a spiritual leader, he has to rule his house. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Now it seems a little hardcore. It especially seems hardcore if you're a pastor. Like, man, wow, what a, that's kind of a high standard to have to be judged by. But you notice in those verses, God doesn't give any specifics. Well, if your kid ever does this, you're out. He just says as a general rule. And I think the point is that fact is your children should be um, submissive. They should be obedient as a general rule. Now, what's the whole point there? The point is this, that a parent's lifestyle in the home has huge ramifications for the mind and the spiritual welfare of the children. That's what he's saying. Now, he's not trying to dump on anybody. He's just simply saying, folks, as you are in the home, what kind of example you are in the home makes a huge difference. Now, thankfully, the Apostle Paul uh, made a wonderful proviso. Look in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. He said, now look, when I'm talking about being a follower, I'm not saying you're supposed to follow me and be just like me. I'm saying you can follow me because I got my eyes on Jesus. Look what it says, 1 Corinthians 11, be followers of me as I am of Christ. Paul was not asking them to blindly follow him, you know, walk off a cliff. He was saying, as I follow Christ, I want you to follow me, just like me, because I hopefully I'm just like Jesus. Now, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around what Jesus would be like, because Jesus is a spirit. We're told in John chapter 4 and verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's hard for us who are so fleshly to understand God because he's a spirit. In the Bible, it says God looks at us with his eye, but he's a spirit. God listens to us with his ear, but he's a spirit. He has his hand upon us, but he's a spirit. I mean, technically, theologically, God really doesn't have eyes or he doesn't really have hands. He is a spirit being, and yet God uh, humanizes himself and of course, he gave us Jesus, and that's, that's such a great example there. But the Apostle Paul said, I know you can't really get your head wrapped around God, but you can certainly see me. I'm there for you. I am your flesh and, your, and blood. And so I think in me, you'll be able to see God. There was a little four-year-old child and very frightened, convinced in the darkness, so scary. There was monsters everywhere. Ran to the parents' bedroom and just afraid. And the dad calmed the little girl down, took her by the hand, led her back to the room, put on a little small light, reassured his daughter. He said, honey, there's no need to be afraid. You're never alone because God is always with you. And she replied, I know God is here, but I need somebody with flesh on in this room. <laughs> And uh, that's exactly how we feel, you know. Someone said, you know, after my wife died, you, you have God. Well, yeah, I have God, but I need someone with flesh on them. 
you know, that I can share those innermost parts of my heart, and we're all that way. I've been reading this whole COVID stuff, and uh, now they're talking about a, a, what is it, they called it a, 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 a skin famine or something, like that, some term like that. Like, people are longing is to have somebody put a hug around them and just somebody, you know, give them a handshake. And I mean, anymore, it's just, it's really strange out there. You know, don't touch me. Don't come close to me. I hide my face. And and then they wear sunglasses. And man, you're like, who is that person? The apostle Paul said, you can touch me and you can watch me. I am there flesh and blood. And that's what he's saying. I am there to be that person that fleshes out God. Mom and dad, let's flesh out God. There was a little girl who came up with her mother after church. She uh, was part of a very large church, and she'd never really met the pastor personally. And so they come up afterwards and, uh, to meet the pastor, and he saw the little girl. She had her shoe was untied, and he reached down, and he tied her little shoe. They finished their conversation, and they walked off. The pastor heard the little girl say as she was walking off, Mom. Did you see God tie my shoe? (laughs) And that's what sometimes it seems like, you know, when we see somebody, oh, that's God up there. Someone told me the other day, said, you're a lot shorter than you look on the platform. (laughs) Really? Okay, then, fine. But uh, you look big up there. And, oh, I am big, and that's why I'm here for your protection. And, uh, but uh, he, uh, we're here to flesh out the cause of Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians. Corinthians again, for this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, Timothy, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord. Hallelujah. How many of us would like to simply be said about our life? That's our biography, faithful in the Lord. We sang about being faithful. Timothy was faithful. He shall bring you into remembrance of what? My ways. My ways, my, my day-to-day ways, my day-to-day lifestyle, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in Christ. The Apostle Paul said, you know what? I may not be able to get there, but I'm, Timothy will be, and Timothy is Paul 2.0. <laughs> he is just another version of me. He knows my ways. Uh, someone told us, they said, you know, you need to put... Uh, you need to put the name of who is up there speaking on the, uh, on the internet because uh, when you and Pastor Luke are talking, sometimes you can't even tell the difference. And so they have to put the name up there. And, and of course, I, I'm not sure how that works, but looking at us, I can't imagine poor Luke. I think, well, that's, that's bad for him, but uh, I wouldn't mind looking like him, but I mean, poor guy, you know. Um, now, he said, your ways, your ways... Paul said, watch my ways. Wouldn't it be great if I could say as a dad, just watch me. I want you to watch how I interact now. I want you to watch how I talk. I want you to listen to me. I want you to see how this is done. Uh, Just watch me. Watch my attitude every day. Watch my lifestyle. Watch my goals. Just watch me. And uh, pay close attention. He wasn't saying I'm perfect. He was just simply saying, I'm trying to serve Jesus I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to be biblical. If you can't figure out God because he's a spirit, then watch me for a while. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but I will tell you that I am 
sold out to God. I remember reading about a man who was giving a testimony about his own dad, and he was saying, you know, when he grew up, his dad was his role model. He absolutely wanted to do everything like his dad. He saw his dad shaving, and he'd go in there and, you know, shave like that. He'd keep looking up at his dad. He'd imitate the way his dad walked. He said, it was so, I so much wanted to be like my dad. When we went to church, he said, I looked down and saw how my dad was standing on the tiles. He said, I put my feet just exactly like my dad's. So much wanted to be like them. Sometimes we don't imagine they're watching. I'll tell you what, they are always watching. And even when we don't think they're watching, they're watching. And so that's why we need to be a predictable example, consistent day after day, uh, just always the same. Number five, the fifth mark of a spiritual parent, he educates pervasively. Look at verse 17. Look at the last part of that verse. I teach everywhere. I teach everywhere and in every church. Now you need to understand the setting here. Now there were some people in this Corinthian church. Sadly, they had become gossips. And uh, they just destroyed everybody's reputation. The Apostle Paul was one of the greatest men that ever lived. And they were throwing shade all over Paul. Why he's this way and he's that way. And I I guess it just made them feel a little bit better about their own inconsistencies. But here's one of the things they were saying about Paul. They were saying, when he goes to Galatia, he teaches like this. When he goes to Ephesus, he teaches like this. When he goes to Colossae, he teaches like this. Paul said, look, I teach the same thing to everybody. Now, it may come out a little bit different. I remember a critical... Uh, word or uh, I don't know. It was a it was an email that a fellow sent me after visiting church one day, not a member, and he said I appreciate the service, like the message, but he said you were incomplete in explaining repentance, and I thought, look, there've been. And I, I wrote him back a kind note, but the fact is, folks, teaching on repentance to take about five thousand books this big. And so in one 45-minute message, when you mention it for three minutes, that you just know you just hit the highlights or something like that. I mean, and over a course of a year or five years or 10 years, you're going to get a big picture of what faith and repentance is and, uh, or sovereignty or free will or all that kind of stuff. And that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He's saying, folks, I teach the same thing everywhere. Not just because it doesn't always come out. That doesn't mean I'm teaching anything different. And so he exercised his right to defend himself here. But what he was saying was, I teach everywhere in every church. I just keep teaching. It may come out a little different here and there. For example, when probably not a good example, but when we visited down in Vanuatu there, that South Pacific island, I asked uh, Brother Panero, I said, now, Brother Panero, before we, I, I preach, I want to make sure we follow the culture of your church, don't want to offend anybody. I said, uh, do you want me to wear a coat? Uh, do you want me to wear a tie? Uh, how is it that uh, you want me? I said, I want to make sure I represent you and uh, represent the Lord good. And he said, Brother Tim, he said, in Vanuatu, pants or ties? I said, pants or ties? He said, yeah, because nobody wears long pants. <laughs> So if you wear long pants, that's like wearing a tie. That's just, that's a formal. And I said, oh, okay, great. And uh, that worked for me because it was hot there for sure. I'll tell you one thing. And he's, the same thing is true. You see, in uh, one place, uh, 
being formal requires a suit, coat, and a tie. In another place, just wearing pants and you're good. And so that's the Apostle Paul was saying. It's different, but it's the same underlying truth. And that's what he was saying here. I teach the same in every church. It might look a little different, but I teach. I'm always looking for an opportunity to teach. However, whenever, wherever, small, big, however, putting a little thing on the wall. That's why the book of Deuteronomy says, write things and put them on the wall because they see those things. They, uh, you know, uh, the things that we have, small little things can make a huge statement. A few years ago, I was a great uh, sports player, a great quarterback, and he's been trying to make it in the professional baseball uh, by the name of Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was a tremendous college quarterback, but the thing that made him famous was not the fact that he was just such a good player, was that he put under his eyes, you know how a lot of football players put that black under there to keep from glare? Well, then on top of that little black uh, tar or whatever that is, he put John 3.16 on his cheeks. There, I mean, that's just, that was just what he, and he knew that the camera would be focused on him. He knew that people would be interviewing him and just, an, he never said any word about it. He just simply put that huge statement. They, I think after one game, they had like a million hits on Google for John 3.16. Just a little tiny thing like that. Folks, it is amazing what happens when we have even something small, even something that's seemingly you know, a nonchalant, but we teach everywhere. He said, I teach everywhere the same thing. God is always the same. There is nothing uncertain about God. God's truth is powerful. God's truth is solid. God's truth is certain. There's nothing relative about it. It doesn't change with the times. The apostle Paul said, I cha- I, everywhere I go, I teach Jesus. When I'm in Turkey, when I'm in Uh, the area of Galatia, I preach about God. When I go to Greece, I preach about God. When I go over there to the Middle East, when I go to Israel, I preach about Jesus Christ. It never changes. Now, uh, the wording may a little change, the direction may change, but the bottom line is it is always a, the same thing. It is a universal standard. And that's what a mom and a dad does. We simply keep teaching. We simply keep teaching. What do you teach? You teach the Bible. We teach the Word of God. Folks, it's awesome in an ever-changing world where right is now almost considered wrong. The Bible stands. And in today's insane mindset, it's almost considered by some people morally irresponsible to go to church. It's getting to the point where, you know, having a portrayal of Jesus Outside your church or somewhere is insensitive. What's next? The cross? Pretty soon they're going to say, we don't want any crosses because it's offensive to others, folks. We live in a crazy world out there. And so, but we just need to keep focusing on the certainties of God's word. And that's what we portray to our family. We just simply saying the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E is still the thing that we want in our life. He said, I teach it. Old Solomon in the Old Testament said, here's how I teach. Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train. We train. Now, when we say teach, we're talking more than just 
imparting knowledge. And that's what Paul was saying. I'm not saying when I teach, I'm just spinning out facts. No, I train. Train them. The word train there is a word dedicate. It's also used in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 5. It says when you build a new house, you dedicate it. Dedicating your homes in the Old Testament was very important because you wanted God's blessing on your physical home as well as on your spiritual home. And so they would dedicate it to God. That word dedicate there in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 5 is the exact same word as train. Dedicate. And so when we're training, when we're teaching, it's more than just facts. It's dedication. When someone is a real good at sports, we say they're a dedicated runner or they're, you know, a dedicated fisherman or they're dedicated musician or they're dedicated, that they're committed. It is an act of something very, very uh, uh, strong. Notice what it says, train up a child, train up, not train down, not dumb down, but train up. You take a little vine, and we have been doing some planting around here, and uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, person there at the nursery said, well, start them when they're young, he said, and he said, just train them onto the, uh, to the fencing. Train it. He said, you just take the little shoots and put it here and put it there. You train it, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Train them up. Train them up. Many people just kind of feed them and just let them go over which, that, that little vine, go whichever which way. No, train them up which way, in the way they should go. Look what that verse says, in the way. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 2, Christianity is called the way. Why was it called the way? Well, Jesus is the way for one reason. But second of all, because there was such a powerful methodology to the way Christians lived, they just had this unique lifestyle. They were so countercultural. They were so unique. They were called the way. Oh, <laughs> you know those people. The, the, the way. They just have such a unique lifestyle. Folks, for thousands of years, people who are Christians have always lived in a unique way. And that's why apostles here, and that's why Solomon said, train them up in a way. Many uh, parents have this flawed concept. Today's world, they have this concept, well, I let my children make their own decisions about religion. Uh, they're pretty proud of that thought. I've heard so, oh, man, I've had hundreds of parents tell me that, you know, especially when we'd go out bus calling. Well, you know, if they want to go, they can go. I let them make their own decision about religion. Now, folks, that is the craziest concept I've ever heard in my life. Now, do you let them make decisions about their food? Yeah, if they want to eat, they can eat. If they don't want to eat, they want to eat candy, they can candy. I, they, I don't care. You know, I let them make their own decision. Really, you would never do that. You would be. That would be a terrible parent. Well, if they want to go to school, they can go to school. If they don't want to go to school, they don't have to go to school. I let them to make their own decision about school. <laughs> well, no, that's craziness. And people say, well, I let them make their own decision about God. No, we, we, we give them everything we can. Now, obviously, you can't make them make a heart decision, but we can bring them to church, and we can read the Bible to them, and we can give them things that help them be a, a, a strong person. We give them something that changes their life. We give them, it says, we train them up. We dedicate them. There's a popular book. Those of you that are in the business world may have heard of it. 
It is a study that says uh, that it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at anything. They've studied over the years, and they found that a person who is a master chess player, or good at math, someone's good at uh, someone like a, just a tremendous virtuoso, a singer or a musician, or some great sportster, they're saying it takes, across the board, 10,000 hours of some, doing something repetitively before you can be a master at it. 10,000 hours. Then, but there was a little bit of variation. They said sometimes it only takes uh, 9,000 hours. Well, oh, you know, it still takes a lot of hours. I mean, that's a lot. Now, folks, we need to drill the truths of God into the heart of every one of our children. Um, ushers, uh, I was trying to catch you before the service, but it didn't work out there. Um, could I have a couple of our ushers go to the back here? And on that little table there, there's this little uh, paper. It's called Basic Bible Themes. I firmly uh, encourage every family to have these little basic Bible themes. Now, if your children are still young, this is perfect for you. If they're older, you can give them to your younger children, give them to their, so they can give them to their kids there. But uh, uh, here's how you just start passing them out. That'd be good. So here's what you do as part of your Bible time. And I, you probably have Bible time a couple times a week, maybe three, maybe four times a week. You sit down there, and as part of your Bible times, you have a Bible drill. That's dedicating. That's training. That's 10,000 hours. What do you do? All right, here we go. Who wrote the Bible? Children? God. Say it. Who wrote the Bible? God. Say it with me. Who wrote the Bible? God. Is all the Bible true? Yes, every word is true. Say that. Is, is all the Bible true? Yes, every word is true. All right, so you keep this. Now, in liturgical churches, they have something called a catechism. How many of you ever heard of a catechism? All right. Now, we don't use them in evangelical churches typically, but a catechism is just a set order of things to drill them about. You know, some very smart people figured out that if you keep drilling, if you keep dedicating, if you keep repeating, it is very helpful. Now, a caution, we don't want that to become, you know, just uh, something they do by, you know, memory without, uh, in their heart. But the fact is, going over it helps them, helps them. And so, we want to educate pervasively. We want to train them. We want to educate them. And so, these are some basic Bible themes from the, the Bible, sin, God, salvation, heaven, Satan. Take that. All right. Number six, and finally, here this morning, he loves passionately, admonishes patiently, initiates pointedly, exemplifies predictably, educates pervasively, and finally, he punishes patiently. <laughs> In verses 18 through 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, disciplining is the unique duty of parents. Other people might feed them like me. Other people uh, can love them like me. Other people can educate them like me. But nobody gets a chance to use the rod on them. Uh, back in the day, maybe a principal used to be able to. They don't much do that anymore. But the fact is it, is, it is the most unique part of parenting. It is also the most challenging, I will tell you. All right, let's read verses 18 through 21. All right, let's read it out loud together. Ready, begin. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, 
and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Now, here's what this simply means. Paul said, look, I'm a pastor. I'm a, but I'm more than a pastor. I'm a spiritual father. As pastor, I have been called to hold this assembly accountable. I, that's, part of my, uh, that's part of my responsibility. And the fact is, we're getting some independent people. We're getting some folks that are uh, pushing against the leadership. They're hurting the uh, other folks. And he said, uh, look, we can't have that. I mean, this is, a, this is a family of God. We can't have that kind of division. And he said, here's the fact. If you don't mend your ways when I come, you're going to have to leave the church. I mean, that's as simple as that. You're going to have to leave until you get things square, and then you can come back. But until then, you're going to have to leave. And so that was the rod he was talking about. He wasn't saying, I'm going to come and beat you church members. He was just saying that if you don't get in line, you're not going to be able to be part of our assembly because church attendance is a privilege. It's not a, it's not a right. And so notice what he says in verse 21. He said, shall I come to you with a rod? It's up to you. It's up to you. It's your choice. <laughs> Parents sometimes say to a child, okay, it's up to you. What, are you gonna, what do you want? You want you know, you can obey and everything's cool, or if you don't obey, it's not going to be good. Now, Paul wasn't threatening, and he wasn't bluffing either. He was simply issuing a loving caution. There's a big difference between a loving caution and a threat. Parents should never threat. They should never bluff, nor should they bribe. We should simply say, all right, here's the deal. Now, uh, here's what I expect, and here's how we're going to do it. And here's what you can expect if it's not done. You have a right to choose now. When the consequences come, no choices. This is what's going to happen. How do we hold someone accountable? And that's what, folks, this is so vital. You say, well, why is it so much important? This is so important. Because this is a great part of the Christian life. This is one of the things that has been lost in the modern church, is the responsibility and the accountability that we have to God as it's, uh, we've emphasized love so much that we have forgotten that God also wants us to be accountable. Here's what he says I want you to do. There are three parts to effective accountability. First of all, you tell somebody. You tell them. And obviously, you can't uh, hold a child responsible if you never told them. Now, a little qualifier here. <laughs> you never told me that I wasn't supposed to stick my brother's head down the toilet and flush it. Um, now, I think uh, there's a, something called a moral law, and I think the moral law in your heart told you you never flush your brother's head down the toilet, right? So I, don't, I didn't have to tell you that specifically, but still, we tell them. You want them to have a clean room? Go clean your room. Folks, that's just, that's not going to go anywhere, because they don't know what that means. I want you to clean your room. So what do you mean? Are you meaning pick up three papers and that's it? Are you meaning I want you to, you know, clean the edges? Or are you meaning I want you to paint the room, tear up the carpet? I want you to, you know, fix the carpet. Would you, what are you wanting? So, so you can have some code words like quick clean or deep clean or whatever. But uh, we want to make sure that we tell them 
specifically. You don't have to give them the whole, you know, I want you to clean the carpet. I want you to clean your bed. I want you to clean, you know, the wall. I want just You can have some code words that you've explained, and this is what I expect. And, but once we, we have to tell them, Romans chapter 14 and verse 12 says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Folks, every thought, every word, every action, we will give account to God. That's why it's vital that we teach our children that they will give account. We are teaching them by telling them this, you are going to be held accountable for this. And folks, we are setting them up for being accountable to God. If you simply just never tell them, they don't know. And so we're going to tell them. Number two, we're going to show them. Now, telling is a very big part of good, patient, disciplining, and punishment. But until we show them, they're not, it's not going to happen. And so, we're going to clean the room. And so, we tell them, here's what we want them to do. Now, we're going to show them. And so, you go in the room, and you don't have to do this every time. But you show them, all right? When I say deep clean, this is what I mean. Everything out from underneath the bed. I want your toys back in the toy box. I want, you know, your bed made. And so this is what show, and then you show them. Ah, I tell them, I told them, but did you show them? Well, I, 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 did you show them exactly what you want them to do? Tell them and then show them. You have to show them. You'd say, well, they should know. Well, I know, but you, that's what you're doing. You're setting accountability. You can't, it's hard to punish until you know they understand. Now they understand. I pretty much know they do. They, when they're six months old, they understand. And yet we say, oh, they don't understand. I think they understand very clearly, but whatever. We're going to set our accountability. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 20. He was with the Ephesian elders. He said, I kept back nothing I taught you, but I showed you. I showed you how to live. I showed you. I told you. And then I showed you. Now, um, we're going we're gonna to tell them what we want. We're also going to tell them the, what's going to happen if they don't. Now, don't give some kind of crazy thing like, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to eat for six months. And uh, you know that's not, you're not going to do that. So don't say something crazy like that. Have some reasonable, you know, actions that bear out. So we tell them and then we show them. All right, I told them, I went there and showed them, but we've got to do the third step. And this is the most important, absolutely the most important, and it is the least done. We must follow up. That's our biggest downfall. We don't follow up. We tell them. We might show them, although usually we just tell them. Then we show them, and that's really good. But unless we follow up, it is, we, are, we are not going to get the job done, and we're not going to show them how God works. There's a wonderful scripture in Jude chapter 1. Of course, Jude doesn't have chapter 2, but Jude chapter 1, verse 12. There are spots in your feast. He's talking about these spots people who, it was not good. Your feast of charity, basically church. They feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. 
all this beautiful symbolic language, this picture language. Here, um, Jude would say, look, in church, there are some folks that come in, and they're like a big, big, beautiful, juicy rain cloud. I mean, they're so wonderful. It just, they look like they're just going to pour out water. Now, folks, they need water like we need water. I mean, they're talking about famine right now, and you know, it was like a thousand-year famine right now. The water, you know, the hotter than it's ever been. It's 100 degrees in the Arctic, you know, all this stuff. People want water. We love water. Back there in that day, they really needed water because they didn't have all the elaborate irrigation, didn't have all the fancy pump systems, you know, for deep well, uh, deep uh, water, uh, deep well watering. So, what do they do? They had to depend upon clouds. When they would see a cloud come, oh, maybe that's a rain cloud. That's a rain cloud. And it would come. They'd see new people come to their assembly. Oh, they're going to be such a blessing. It's going to be so good. And they show up. They have this big, they have this wonderful show. They look good. And then they're gone. They're a cloud without water. They come, get in the baptistry, plop, fizz, 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 plop, fizz. And then they go out like Alka-Seltzer. They're Alka-Seltzer Christians. You get them in the water, they fizz for a while, then they're gone. He said, some Christians are like that. They're like clouds without water. They come into your assembly. They promise all this good. It seems like it's going to be wonderful, but they don't pan out. And they just float on. And that's why it's hard sometimes in a church. People get hurt and they, you know, we, we get disillusioned and, you know, we see people come and it's like, uh, you know, and then they, you know, Apostle Paul said, don't be like that. I was thinking about that as I thought of parenting. Some parents, many parents, <laughs> I've been there. We're clouds without water. We cloud up. Boy, I'm going to rain all over you. I'm going to rain on your parade. I'm going to rain so hard on you, it's going to flood. I'm going to rain all over you. And then they, we don't rain. We're just like a cloud without water. We, should, we act like we're full of water, but we don't. What a, and in so doing, we teach them, God doesn't care. You can live however you want. And I see grown kids growing up like, <laughs> don't you care how you lived? I mean, don't you even have a fear of God? How can you, how can you be raised this way and go out and just live like that? How? That's because sometimes we as parents, we make this mistake. We cloud up and never rain. We cloud up and never bring what we ought to. You'd say, well, I, folks, I'm not talking about threatening or bluffing. I'm, talk, I'm talking, about, talking about screaming or yelling. I'm just talking about a measured, wise response to when they don't follow through every time. We cannot let even one thing go. You say, wow, that just, the point is, if we let one thing go, every time we do, we strengthen their resolve that maybe he'll, maybe dad will let go again. Now, I don't like disciplining my children. I never did. Especially with seven daughters, I hated doing that. Now, I didn't mind whooping on the boys a little bit, but, uh, you know, like the old uh, timer, he was kind of rough. He said, my dad... He was so tough on me. He said he always would ground me. They said, well, that doesn't seem too bad. 
I know, but then he'd hook me up to the electricity. <laughs> but anyway, uh, if you're an electrician, you got that. But, uh, the, uh, but you know what? I, I didn't have a hard time as much with Luke and Nathan. But uh, those seven girls, they look at you. Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Little curls, you know. <laughs> okay. Boy, I'm going to, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world. But I'll tell you one thing, if you don't do it, then we have forgotten the, the most crucial part of this whole thing. We're like a cloud without rain. God said, you've got to tell them, you've got to show them, and then you have to follow through. A spiritual parent loves, admonishes, initiates, exemplifies, educates, and punishes patiently. A young man went off to college. He walked away sadly from his values, the beautiful values that he had in his wonderful Christian home. Unashamedly, he put racy pictures on the walls of his room. One day, his mother came to visit, visited his room, saw the pictures on the wall, was saddened, but set nothing. Later, she sent, when she went back home, she sent him her picture. And she said, son, would you please put my picture on your wall? She had an occasion to come back later and visit her son again, visit his room again. And there she walked into the room to see that all those racy pictures were gone. And there was a picture of her his mother. And she said, son, uh, what happened to all the other pictures? He said, mom, when I put your picture up there, all those other pictures just seem so out of place. Now, folks, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, may the picture of our life be so uh, profoundly Christ that everything else just doesn't seem to make sense next to it. We love them, we educate them, we train them, and like the Apostle Paul, we do something that nobody else can do. We can be a father to them. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.